Good morning and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay and I am the host for the presentation this, this morning. Today is Sunday, September 17th, 2023. The share ID numbers for Friday, September 15th for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, that number is 20,648. That's 20648. The share ID for the 10 a.m. meeting on Friday the 15th is 20,649. That's 20649. This morning, a vision for you presents the journey, happy, joyous, and free. Our speaker is going to share her personal story of transformation as the result of the application of the 12 steps. <clears throat> you know, the, the, uh, the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous provides uh, precise instructions on how to implement the 12 steps. In fact, there, there, there's nothing particularly vague I have found about the suggested actions one must take in order to experience a spiritual uh, transformation a transformation, uh, transformation sufficient to bring us into alignment, into access uh, with a power greater than ourselves, a power of our own understanding. Now, in the, in the preamble, the book makes reference to the fact that rarely had these early AA pioneers, uh, rarely had they seen a person fail who had thoroughly followed our path. And for me, it's important that I get clear on, you know, what path they are referring to. That's important and also what constitutes being thorough. That's important as well. Uh, the path is, of course, the application of the 12 steps. And while thorough uh, for me doesn't, doesn't mean perfect, it, it certainly does mean that I must follow the instructions rigorously. I need to follow them methodically. It's a sequential process and it's a, it's a lifelong process. And let's remember that sobriety alone does not treat the spiritual malady. It's, it's essential. Abstinence is, is certainly essential. It's, for me, it's really merely the ticket in the door as we embark on our journey towards working the steps. And when we do this, we experience an internal mental shift. Uh, they called it, called it a spiritual awakening. And they called it other things, too, a personality change. Um, but, but spiritual awakening, spiritual experience, uh, they they certainly refer to it as that. And the big book describes this internal mental shift very well. And on page 27, they say, you know, these shifts that we're talking about, well, they appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, and I got to say women, right, are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. And what a journey this is, right? What a journey this is. It, it's, it, it's really like the, the, the metamorphosis of a, of a caterpillar into a butterfly. I like that metaphor. It's a, it's a challenging journey. Certainly it was for me and it can be for me, a challenging journey of uncertainty, but it leads to growth and transformation. And, and just like the, uh, the caterpillar goes through I don't know, you know, various stages of transformation within its cocoon. Your personal journey may involve periods of, of isolation and, and, and maybe darkness and, and vulnerability, certainly vulnerability. It may be uncertain and challenging as you navigate through, you know, this unknown territory and, and, and we, you know, can face discomfort of change. <clears throat> change can be uncomfortable. But fear not, right, because for within the cocoon, 
lies immense potential and the opportunity for profound growth. You know, if we, if we imagine the caterpillar inching along the ground, right, and until so one day it retreats into its cocoon, it leaves behind its old form, it surrenders to the unknown, allowing itself to sort of dissolve and rebuild and emerge as a magnificent butterfly. And, and similarly, you know, in your journey of recovery, we, we embrace the unknown. We have courage. We allow ourselves to shed old layers of beliefs and embrace the potential for change. And just as the butterfly, you know, eventually spreads its wings and it soars, with our higher power's help, we get to discover new heights and a miraculous transformed self. And remember, every stage of this journey is an opportunity for growth and for metamorphosis. Joining us this morning to share her personal story of a spiritual transformation as the result of the implementation of the steps is Tina S. from Florida. And Tina, I smile here because I just smile when I think of Tina. Tina is a dedicated member of Overeaters Anonymous, and she is steadfast in her devotion to this 12-step way of life. So please join me in welcoming Tina S. to the line. Good morning, Tina. Thanks so much, Larry. Wow. You know, I'm so grateful to hear you on the line this morning. It calms my nerves a whole lot, (laughs) you know, because I know you and I've met you in person and what a wonderful example of Overeaters Anonymous you are, for sure. I just wanted to thank everybody that makes this meeting possible, Leah and um, Melanie and everybody, you know, um, Katie, everybody that makes this meeting possible. Over the years, it has been my saving grace, you know. Okay, uh, you know, I wanted to start with my abstinence date, which is July the 5th, 1999, you know, and it's an honor and a privilege to speak at a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. And by God's grace, I'm a different person today through the 12 steps and the transformation, which because, you know, for a very long time early on in my um, recovery, I heard people talk about page 133, and they talked about it says that God God wants... We are sure that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. It says we are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. You know, and I think that's in um, uh, Family Afterwards or something like that. But, um, you know, I always think about that, you know, because if I'm not happy, joyous, and free today, you know, what, what am I not doing? You know, what am I not doing? You know, I'll start out by just giving a little history, you know. I... Uh, you know, I was a, a compulsive eater as a young kid. I always felt different. You know, um, second of three girls, they were prettier, you know, thinner always. And, uh, you know, I never measured up. Um, I was an isolator pretty much, you know, by myself. I don't remember a whole lot about eating per se. I remember a lot about the feelings of not feeling, you know, good enough. You know, uh, if I was thinner, then I would be better. Um you know, and just certain things with, and I share this a lot, you know, my mother used to, to dress us up as triplets, you know, <laughs> we were years apart, but, and then there came a time when she couldn't find the outfit to fit me, you know, it was very, very, and I was very sad, you know, um, and I didn't know why, you know, I couldn't, oh, my cry, I didn't think about it, sorry, <laughs> didn't know why, you know, that I couldn't, you know, stop eating so that I could fit in that pretty little outfit, you know. 
And, you know, over the years, you know, I can remember that, you know, I started to have to buy clothes and, you know, chubby clothes and just feeling, you know, just so alone, you know. And, you know, I noticed that, you know, my sisters or other family members didn't eat like I did, you know, and I didn't understand why I did, you know. And so for a very long time, I just thought that there was something really wrong with me, you know. And, and you know, and I did a lot of things, you know, I was really good in academics and school, so I excelled at a lot of different things. I was good in sports and, you know, stuff like that. So that helped me to feel a little better about myself. And one of the things that sports did, you know, was also, you know, helped me to maintain you know, my weight so it didn't get way out of whack, you know, and, um, you know, and so the, the diets that I tried, you know, and I'm, they weren't even really diets, you know, I was either a starver or a binger, you know, they weren't, they weren't, weren't diets. And uh, one of the um, earliest diets was um, alcohol, you know, and, and I'm also, and this is my story, I'm also a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and sober 30 years. And, um, you know, and when I got here, I was dying in Alcoholics Anonymous in my food addiction. So I will say that. So, um, you know, in the booth, if I would drink, you know, I, I would tell myself you can't ruin a good buzz, so I wouldn't eat. But, you know, I'm a blackout, fall down drunk, so I would eat in blackout. You know, so that was not the solution. And, you know, early on, I, you know, you know, this is in my teens, you know, again, you know, always feeling different. If only, if only, if only, you know, <laughs> if only I were thin, you know, and then when I was thin, you know, there were, it wasn't really like my life was wonderful. You know, I liked all the, you know, attractions from people, look how good you look, you know, I liked all that kind of stuff. But in my soul, you know, I still, you know, felt different. You know, I remember, you know, before I came to Overreaders Anonymous, you know, I would pray to die. You know, I would just pray to die. And today, you know, what I do, I pray to live. I pray to live the life that God would have me live today. And that is such a transformation. I am such a different person from that that person, you know. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, I went to uh, counselors and um, psychologists and, you know, I wanted a pill that would, you know, magically make me thin. <laughs> that didn't happen. You know, and, and you know, in, in 1987, I, you know, I got connected with a, um, a therapist who had just come from a, a treatment center in Tampa, Florida. I'm from originally from Pennsylvania. So, um, you know, she came from Tampa, Florida. She was actually in the treatment center herself, for, and it was for eating addiction and alcohol, and alcohol, you know. So, you know, in two weeks' time, you know, I was in this treatment center, you know, for, for food addiction and alcoholism, you know, and, and um and it was a great setup. It was in, number one, it was in Florida. It was beautiful weather. It was December. You know, I would come from the snow and the cold, <laughs> and it was just wonderful. And, you know, what they did is they had this big spread where they made our food. You know, we measured our food. We had these cups and measuring cups and scales and all this kind of stuff, but they made all our food. It was all abstinent. We ate three meals a day and a snack. It was wonderful. We had this plan of eating, which, which was great for me because that's what I always thought. What I need is just this great diet, and I'd be good to go, you know. And uh, something else they had there was these big book studies. I got a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. They had these groups every day, you know. But what I know is I think I know everything. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to attend these these meetings. I wasn't as bad as you all were, you know. So I would go outside, shoot basketball. I would go run around. Um, and they didn't know that I wasn't even in the groups. I, how that is, I don't know. But, I don't, yeah, I didn't really care. You know, I thought I'd go lay out. And, you know, and I, and I got 
vibe with that. Until one time, one of the girls wanted to come lay out with me, and they missed her at one of these groups. So that's then we got found out. But what I can tell you is, I was I just thought that all I needed was this diet that I got, you know. And you know, when I went into this treatment center, I was a normal weight. <laughs> when I came out, I was. Um, you know, I was 5'4 at the time. When I came out, I was 119 pounds. I, I was good to go. You know, I thought I looked beautiful, and this was the answer. Um, well, all I had was was the diet plan, the food plan. And, and today, you know, it's pretty – I still today it's amazing how many years later I still have basically the same food plan. You know, I don't eat sugar. I don't eat white flour, and I don't eat wheat. And, um, you know, there's certain things I don't eat that are my alcoholic foods because what I know is once I put these foods in my body – there's never enough. Doesn't mean I'm, I may not be starting to eat it right away, but that will be all I think about for sure, for sure. You know, and so today what I know for sure is I don't know a whole heck of a lot unless I continue to do what I'm doing in this on this journey of recovery, on this journey. And, you know, and when I got here, you know, even in the treatment center, you know, they talked about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And I was just, I didn't understand anything. And, you know, number one, I wasn't open-minded enough to hear anything that they were telling me. You know, I had to get to a place of complete defeat, you know, utter, complete desperation. What happened was I get out of this treatment center, and that's in 1980. I got out in 19. I went in in, in December of 87, got out in 88. And my, and I got, and, uh, my absent date is 1999, so there's a few years there difference, you know. And so what happened in those years was, you know, it was all about, the, the diet, you know, and uh, and I dieted the diet. So the first time in my life after I went into, into treatment, I started to be underweight, you know, and I thought this was great. It was a great high for me. So the more I didn't eat, the more I didn't want to eat. And But what happened was I started to not be able to think it affected my mind. I couldn't put a sentence together, and I always prided myself on my intellect, <laughs> but I couldn't put a sentence together, you know, and people would talk, and again, I was, I got sober in 1993, so I was sober, six years sober at the time, you know, and I, um, people in Alcoholics Anonymous thought I had AIDS, they thought I had cancer, you know, they thought I was dying by the way that I looked, and, you know, again, you know, I couldn't talk. You know, people would talk for me, or I'd be in a, in a group of people, and by the time I could get a thought together in my mind, the conversation was already on something different. And, you know, and that really bothered me that I couldn't think. And again, I mean, one of the things also that happened in my anorexia, I was paralyzed by fear. There was only certain things I could do, you know, um, and it was it was just heart-wrenching, you know, and and it was just devastating. So, you know, um, a lot of my friends in, in Alcoholics Anonymous raised some money so that I could um, go to another treatment center. So I went to an outpatient treatment center. And then in this place, all I did was because all I knew was just to do what people told me to do because I couldn't think of anything better. could not think of anything better. And I, and I got on my knees every day because that's what I did, you know. And I don't really even know what I said. But what I do know is from... Um, July the 5th, 1999, until this day, I don't have to eat compulsively and I don't have to pick up these allergic foods. I don't have to put them on my body. You know, I had to gain like 35 pounds and it wasn't fun. It wasn't easy. I was, I was pissed off. I'm sorry. I was angry about a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, as, as a compulsive eater, I also know that once I gained my weight, I didn't want to give up the food. So that just brought home to me that I am a compulsive overeater for sure. You know, I, again, was mad that I had to give up some food. So, so there you have it, you know, um, and I am in the right place. And, you know, 
And, you know, today, you know, I love the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I am a student. I was taught that this is a textbook, and that's the only way that I think for me that I really understood what I needed to do with this book, you know, because I had read it. but didn't understand it at all. Um, but when I started to study it, you know, start, certain things began to happen. You know, and number one, you know, when I got here, people told me that, you know, I had an allergy of the body. I thought that was just an excuse. What do you mean I have an allergy? You know, that made no sense to me. You know, you know, I didn't really break out. You know, I didn't have any physical signs. I didn't, you know, lose my brain, couldn't breathe. None of that stuff that, you know, when people are allergic to certain things that happens, that wasn't happening to me, you know. But, you know, when I looked up, I love, I listen to uh, big book studies all the time, and I just got, uh, I recently got a new thumb drive of, of Joe and Charlie, the original uh, Joe and Charlie. And, and it's just so funny, you know, a novel idea. What I did was I looked up the word abnormal, uh, I'm sorry, allergy in, in the dictionary. Imagine that, you know, and all that, sa- and it said it was an abnormal reaction, you know, to to foods, to, to um, drinks or substances, you know. And so when I looked at that definition of allergy, you know, I can understand that because I had an abnormal reaction. I always wanted more. And again, doesn't mean I always had more. I always wanted more. So, you know, it was, my mind was crazy, you know. And then it tells me on page uh, Roman numeral 28, XXVIII, you know, it says, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol or food on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy and that the phenomenon craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average tempered drinker. You know, these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. You know, that was me. You know, that was me. Once I put this allergic stuff in my body, I had this phenomenon of craving. You know, I had the obsession of the mind, you know, and then again on page XXX, it says all these and many others have one common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have suggested is entire abstinence. You know, I don't want to hear that crap. You know, I wanted to, you know, have it every once in a while. You know, because after a few weeks, my mind said, hey, you're pretty good today, Tina. You know, you haven't had a donut in two weeks. You know, you might have to have one. Well, let me tell you, I never had one. I never wanted one. I wanted a dozen. You know, but my mind kept telling me, you're pretty good now. You haven't had it in a while. You know, and so that's what, you know, the obsession of the mind is. Once I keep, you know, I can keep that stuff out of my body and I'm doing pretty good, you know, because I was a great diet. Because when I dieted, I didn't have those allergic foods in my body. So I was pretty good. I was a great dieter until I wasn't, you know, until I wasn't. And so what happens today, you know, and once I I learned this information from the doctor's opinion, you know, I do things differently today. I don't put these alcoholic foods in my body, but also I know that the transformation cannot come about just by the diet that I have. It has to come about through the 12 steps of, the, of Alcoholics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous. And I have to do the work, you know. 
And on page uh, XXXI, it says, you know, they're talking about um, Hank, Hank Parker, actually. He said, he accepted the plan outlined in this book. One year later, he called to see me, and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name and partly recognized his features, but they're all resemblance and the ended from a trembling despairing nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming brimming over with self-reliance and contentment you know that's what happens the transformation comes about i'm a different person you know but what i have to do is to really you know i I also listen when i listen um the um oh big book studies do they talk about you know i have to know what that problem actually is if i don't know what the problem is then i don't have a solution you know, and so what I know today that food is not my problem, booze is not my problem, sex is not my problem, you know, shopping or any of that kind of stuff is not my problem. You know, lack of power is my problem. Um, you know, in, in Bill's story, you know, when I first read Bill's story, I thought, oh God, I, I don't understand any of this. You know, this dude is back in the 30s. He's a dude, number one. You know, and I don't, I can't relate at all. Cannot. Well, you know, because I wasn't trying to relate. You know, I was. You know, and today I try to identify with what goes on in Bill's story. And let me just tell you, as I'm reading, I'm shaking my head up and down. Yep, 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 that's me, that's me, that's me, you know. That's me, that's me, that's me. You know, I'm I'm no different. You know, um, my circumstances may be a little different, you know, but I'm no different. You know, I am that, I'm saying, I am Bill for sure, you know. And on page 14 it says, you know, my friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he has worked with me. Faith without works was dead. And how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For an al- alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life to work and self-sacrifice for others. He could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again, and if he drank, he would surely die. So what it tells me here is that if I'm not doing some work, and if I'm not helping somebody else, you know, I'm going to be eaten again. You know, I didn't want to hear any of that either, because, you know, I, when I got here, I certainly was, all I could think about was me. I was not thinking about you. You know, was not thinking about you, what I could do for you. You know, and today I think a little more about you. You know, not a whole lot, but a little more. And a, little, and, and a lot less about myself. A lot less about myself, you know. Um, you know, it talks about in the first step, you know, we're powerless over food and that our lives have become unmanageable. So true. You know, once I get to that place of powerlessness, once I actually know that, you know, that I have no control over this, you know, I have no control over this. And once I pick up something, look out, I'm off, I'm off to the races. You know, on page 24, it says, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and the humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. You know, so after a couple of weeks, I'm out. I'm without defense against that first donut. You know, and also in here, I'm not sure where it says, but it says, you know, that there'll come a time when we won't have a mental defense, and that defense must come from a power greater than ourselves. Must come from a power greater than ourselves. You know, and then you know, I, you know, I, I love the big book, and I opened up my big book. I got all kind of different highlights, all kind of 
underlines, all kind of circles, all kind of definitions, all kind of stuff. You know, and I have several different big books that have the same stuff going on because, I, you know, I have to do this stuff, you know, one day at a time. You know, what am I doing today to stay abstinent and sober? What am I doing today? You know, page 25, it says, the great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experience experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and it lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we can never do by ourselves. You know, and so that tells me that you know I cannot do this thing alone. I cannot do this thing alone. I have to have some help here. And not only is it from a power greater than myself, because when I got here, you know, I, I was raised Catholic. I share this a lot, you know. So I, when I got here, I thought, help. I thought, I'm already on, on step three, you know. Let's make this decision. But what I know today is that I was an agnostic. I believed in a God, but I didn't believe that God was working in my life. He was probably working in yours, but not in mine, you know. And so today, you know, um, and there is a solution. You know, it talks about, you know, above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. You know, what I know about my mind is that it's going to get me in trouble every time, every time, you know. Um, and then step three, you know, <laughs> it's interesting, not interesting, but, you know, when I got here, you know, people talked about, let this, I'll go back to step two a little bit, you know, it says came to believe came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. You know, I thought step two meant that I already had to believe in a God and that he, you know, I already had to have, know what I was going to do. And and what I was told was, you know, this was a process from came to believe that God, that a power greater than myself would restore me to sanity to step 10 where it talks about being restored to sanity. You know, there's like eight steps in between that. You know, so if I could really just take the leap, you know, from coming to, to come to believe, and then to make a decision. And all I had to make a decision about was to go on with the rest of the step. You know, because, um, you know, the third step for me was very overwhelming when I read it. You know, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Oh, my goodness, will and our lives. I thought this is just too much. But what I found out and people shared with me was that will and life are just my thoughts and my actions. You know, they brought it down to simple terms. So if I could just today, you know, turn over my thoughts and my actions to something bigger than me, and I didn't know what this God was, and I didn't have to define this God. You know, I just had to know that it was something bigger than me. And for a very long time, it was just the other people in recovery. You know, when I saw, I saw people get better and I saw the lives that they were living, I thought, I want that. You know, and what people told me was, you know, if you want what they have, you've got to do what they do. You know, so I've got people, I had people in my lives that were great examples, you know, of, of recovery one day at a time, of doing this deal, of not having to live in the disease, you know. And um, it, I am so grateful today, so very grateful. I can't even, I can't even, you know, put it in words how grateful that, that I am. You know, one of the things that I, that it talks about and um, more about alcoholism, and it talks about, you know, most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics, you know. The idea that somehow, someday, that I would control and enjoy my eating, that was the great obsession, you know. But what I know today is, is I don't no longer have to have that obsession because I've been free for so long that the life I have that had been given me so freely from working the steps and, and through the people in recovery, 
I don't want to go back to eating that donut. That donut didn't give me anything compared to what I have today, to the peace that I have in my life, to the periods of happy, joyous, and free, you know, that, that I really experienced. Because when I got here, I thought people were blowing smoke. You know, you were just telling me that, you know, your life was pretty good. You know, but when I started to see people live, and I saw how their life really was, I knew that something that they did was, was changing, something that they did. You know, and so I wanted that stuff. You know, I wanted that stuff. And, I, you know, I want to back up a little bit on page 45. It's one of my favorite paragraphs. You know, it talks about um, lack of power, you know, because when I, when I got here, I thought it was food for sure, you know, if, you know, that food was the problem. But that's not the problem, you know. It says lack of power was our dilemma. And we had to find a power by which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. You know, because when I was dependent on me, you know, it got me a few seats in a few different 12-step pro- programs. You know, so this power greater than myself is what's going to solve my problem. And that's what it says. Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is in to enab- enable you, to, le- to make me able to find a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem it says which will solve my problem and you know and when I when I get little bits of information like this you know I get excited I get fired up you know I want to continue to do this stuff because it makes me it makes me feel like wow now I have a purpose you know because when I got here I didn't think I had a purpose you know you know I was living a life that was well you know it was was an okay life you know except for you know personally I, I felt like I was you know not fit to be in it. But, you know, on the outside, circumstances weren't all that bad, you know, but on the inside, they were really, really bad, you know, really, really bad. Um, you know, uh, and also, you know, in the agnostics, it talks about, you know, because we talk about this power greater than ourselves, you know, um, that I could start right where I was. I didn't have to be anyplace else. You know, I didn't have to be anywhere else. And, and I always thought that I had to be someplace else or be somebody else to have this God work in my life. Well, that, that's not the way it is today. This isn't the way that it is. So, you know, I make that decision, you know, to go on with the rest of the steps. That's what happens for me in step three. You know, I just make the decision to go on with the rest of the steps. And, and I made that decision, you know. Um, by this time, you know, when I was working the steps, you know, um, I'm, I'm not sure how long it took me to to my maintenance weight um but again you know a lot of it was you know it was all about i was just selfish and self-centered to the extreme you know just just the way that i was and and would have never thought that i was you know would have never thought that i was i'm you know it talks about on page 62 and how it works selfishness self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles you know, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows, and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be harmed or hurt. You know, so when I get to the fourth step and I got all this stuff that, you know, is going through my mind, I got all these resentments, you know, I got all these fears, I got all this sex conduct that, you know, they tell me that they want me to put on paper, you know, and I'm like, ah, I'm not really that bad. But when I look at this paragraph and it says, you know, it says, we've made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. You know, that's, you know, that's column four of the, of the of four step, you know. But, you know, I don't get there very quickly, you know. I have to really go through columns one, two, and three. I have to really look at what you did to me, you know, until I can get to a place of how do I want to be different, 
You know, how does this affect my life and how can I get past you to really look at me? You know, because in the fourth step it talks about, you know, we play, we uh, put the wrongs others have done completely out of our minds. You know, we resolutely look at ourselves and what we have done. You know, and I do this work and it's not, it's not fun, you know. And a lot of times it's not easy. But what I found every time I do an inventory, it seems like something has gone on in my life that really re- relates to what I really need to work on, you know, so that I can practice, you know, this, this stuff that I, the solutions that I found and use the tools that I have to not be that same person in that same instant. Inst- instance and to be somebody different in it so that I no longer have that resentment. You know, I'm not no longer thinking that you're, um, you know, bald and you're stuff to me, that I know that, you know, I make decisions as a human being that, you know, whether it is that, you know, I want you to like me or, you know, I've got something I want and all of this kind of stuff. And, um, and then I know that, you know, if I change the way that I am in a situation, the situation can change. And, you know, some of the stuff through the, excuse me, through the fourth step, you know, you know, it talks about fear. You know, I was paralyzed by fear. You know, every little, I was just paralyzed for, for a long period of time. You know, I worked in a pharmacy. I, um, I could only leave my house and go to work. And I couldn't stop in between. I don't. I don't even really under like when I think about that today, I'm, I'm like on the outside, you know, looking in, like I'm, it was a totally different person than I am today. For whatever reason, you know, nothing could get in the way of, you know, my mind was made up. I'm going to work. I would leave, get in my car and go to work. And I couldn't stop in between because that was not in the plan. You know, I had a plan <laughs> and nothing could stop that, you know, and you can't live like that. You know, so it, like my fear paralyzed me, you know, and, and I could remember, you know, when I was working with a sponsor and we talked about, you know, we talk about the inventory and we talk about our fears and, you know, she would say to me, you know, Tina, there's a great fear prayer on page 68. Not like we hadn't read this because I went, I went through the book with people that we read line by line. We highlighted, we underlined, we circled, we looked up, you know, I have a big book dictionary. We looked up words. We did all this stuff, you know, and she said, there's a great fear prayer on page 68. And, you know, and you might want to read a couple of the paragraphs before it, too. It says, you know, we reviewed our fears thoroughly, you know, and then in that second paragraph it says, oh, um, the last sentence there, it says, some of us had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Worse. And says, perhaps there's a better way. We think so. If we are now on a different basis, I'm on a different basis today, the basis of trusting and relying upon, upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite self. We're in the, role, in the world to play the role he assigns, you know. And he would have us and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? Imagine that, calamity with serenity. Who would have thought? I'd have never thought, you know. I would never have thought. You know, and then in the next paragraph down at the bottom, it talks about, and then there's the prayer, you know, there's the prayer. You know, we ask God to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. Not necessarily what he would have us do, but what he would have us be. And then it says, at once we commence to fear. Outgrow fear at once, like right now. You know, when I'm saying, "Okay, God, help me," in that moment, I am commencing to outgrow fear. You know, and then you know, I did the sex conduct stuff, and I have, you know, I had a lot of stuff on there, sex conduct. You know, because I just wanted people to fix me. So I was in and out of relationships all the time. I was either in one or and halfway in another. You know, that's just the way I live my life. You know, and today, what I can tell you, that me and my partner have been together for twenty, twenty-two, twenty-three years. And that in its in of itself is amazing. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. 
you know. And so I, you know, again, you know, about being somebody different, you know, I don't look for people to fix me today. You know, I'm a responsible human being today. You know, I'm self-supporting to my own contributions today. And that was never the person that I was. You know, and that only comes about through the transformation that Larry talked about, you know, for sure. And how, for me, the only way that happened was through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and you know, and I, you know, I'm not putting down any other literature of OA. It's great stuff because I worked the steps in the in the workbook. I worked it in the in the step book. I mean, all that stuff is great. You know, but for me, it's simple and precise. You know, and the directions in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and in the fifth step. You know, when I, I remember when I got to the fifth step, because you know, I have you know, I got here in, in, originally in 1988. You know, and again, you know, I had started working the steps, but you know. I never could get through that inventory thing, never could get through it. So, you know, 11 years later, I come back, and then on page, on into action on page 72, and this is the reason the last time I went through the steps that I did, because I had, you know, it never went past step four. Uh, and the, the bottom of the last paragraph there, it says, um, it talks about, you know, what, you know, why we do this stuff. No, actually, let me just read the first paragraph. It says, having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator and discover the obstacles in our path. That's what we're doing. We're trying to get a new relationship with our creator. You know? And then at the bottom of the page, I think it's the last couple of paragraphs, it talks about the best reason that we do, the reason we do this. The best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking or eating. And that's what happened to me. You know, so I thought, this time I'm going to do this step. I'm going to do step five and see what happens. You know, and I did, and I was amazed, and I, and then I got energized. You know, I'd already told people all about me, and I hadn't done anything anybody else has never done. You know, and and people could just relate, and I just felt at home. I felt part of finally. So I wanted to go on with the rest of the steps. You know, in step t- six, it talks about entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. By the time I'm done with form five, let me tell you, I'm entirely ready. I'm entirely ready because I'm done being the person that I was on that on paper. You know, I want to be somebody different, you know. And so I humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings, you know. And it's amazing because not only in, you know, in this step, in step 10, now and I hate to be jumping all over the place, but I have an opportunity even 10 to, you know, be, be entirely ready once I'm looking at that inventory <laughs> to have God remove these defects of character and to humbly ask him, you know, because I don't like the person that I am. You know, I want to be a different person today. You know, and then I have to do the work, you know. I make a list of all the people I've harmed, you know, and become willing to make amends. You know, I'm, I, you know, I put these people on paper and I thought, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this stuff. You know, my sponsor asked me to make three columns. One where you know where people are and, and you're willing to make the amends. And the second column is you're willing to make the amends, but you don't know where they are. And the third column is no, never. You know, and what I found over time, everybody from columns three and two got to one. And how cool is that? Who would have thought? You know, just by praying for the willingness to make amends to people, that it happens. You know, I also was told that, you know, God presents the opportunity. I just become willing to do the work. You know, I, because um, I, when I first made amends, I had, and I say this in my story a lot because I think it's funny today, I had all this, I had these plans, you know, I, I lived most of my life at that time, um, in Pennsylvania, I moved down here when I was 30. I'm 65 today, so I'm more a Floridian than I am from a Pennsylvania. I was a Pennsylvanian, or I don't know what it's called, but anyway. So I thought I got all these people from Pennsylvania. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to Pennsylvania. I'm going to make all these amends. It's going to be wonderful, 
you know, I go to Pennsylvania, nobody's answering the phone. <laughs> so I wasn't able to make the amends. You know, today I've made all those amends because God presents the opportunity. I just become willing to do the work, and then I get to be able to do it. You know, it's it's amazing stuff. It's just amazing. You know, I, uh, you know, and it talks about. Oh, and I love this. You know, there are so many promises in this book, but you know, uh, one of the one one of the promises, but the promises that I really loved and that. It's read almost at every meeting that I go to, you know, are the, are the nine step promises. And, um, you know, I start on page 83 and I'm just going to read them. You know, the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. That's what it says. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through, going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We'll comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude not look upon life will change. Fear of people, and sorry, if you can hear my dog, he's going to bark. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises that we think not? You know, and it's, you know, amazing stuff. And all these promises have come true. But what I know today is they could all go away. And, you know, I, and I, again, I'm a person of more. You know, I, I always want more. So I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing. You know, um, then it talks about this, this thought part brings us to step 10. You know, it's um, what a wonderful step. Step 10 is, you know, it talks about being uh, placed in position of neutrality. You know, it talks about being restored to sanity. You know, some of the stuff that we have to do, you know, we take a personal in- inventory, you know, and we continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. You know, because I know today in the uh, AA 12 and 12, it talks about it's a spiritual axiom. It's a spiritual truth that when I'm disturbed, there's something wrong here. You know, I can get not get any kind of peace. If I, if I want you to change, the only peace I can get is when I start to change. You know, so I start to look at the stuff in me you know, that makes me resentful at you. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, I'm going to lose something I got or I'm not going to get something I want. One of those things, you know, you've done something to me that's, you know, affecting, you know, my instincts. That's kind of what it is. But what I know is what is it that I can do? You know, I can pray for you. You know, but there, you know, these these five steps. I think for me that the ten step talks about are, you know, five things that I got to do. You know, and at first, you know, I got to look at what it is that you know I got going on here: selfishness, dishonesty, um, resentment, and fear. You know, and then it says that you know I ask God at once to remove it. Now, a lot of times I'm looking at all this stuff and looking at myself, but I'm forgetting to ask God to remove it. That's one of the first things I got to do. I ask God to remove it. You know, I discuss it with somebody. You know, you know. Let me tell you what I got going on in my mind about it. You know, maybe you're you're hearing something different because your perception your perception is probably you know objective and mine is not. You know, and if I make a if I cause some harm, then I make some I make an amends. And then the best part of this, which for me, and, and I think a lot of people overlook, it says, it says, then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. 
you know. I always want to just look at and get my stuff fixed up here and then go on with, uh, go on my way. Well, let me look at what I can do for somebody else. Love and tolerance of others is our code. You know, when I can start thinking of you instead of me, you know, God's taking care of my stuff. If I get out of myself, you know, a lot of the perception I have changes immediately, you know, because I'm not always thinking about me. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a great life today, you know, and I know I, you know, I, I speak a lot about, you know, uh, having a life beyond my wildest dreams, and, and, and I share this a lot, you know, because it's the truth, because when I got here and people said that, I thought they were blowing smoke. What I can tell you today, and it's the truth, I have a life beyond my wildest dreams, you know, I'm in, in, in a job today that who I'd have never thought I'd be in, you know, I'm going to retire in May of 20, I always, <laughs> people laugh at me, because I tell everybody, I'm retiring in 2025. I'm done working today, but I'll be ready to retire in May of 2025, you know, and who'd have thought? And and I have a job today that I love. I love going, I love working. I get to work from home, you know, uh, for the last six years I've been working from home. That was a dream of mine. You know, I make more money than I've ever made. You know, it's just amazing what my life looks like today, you know, and the way that I live my life today. It's just phenomenal it's it's amazing and it's only because of the transformation it's only because the change that has come about you know i cannot do this stuff on my own you know i have to have people that that i look up to that i that i talk to that you know i i run this stuff by you know anything that's happening i run by people today you know i cannot just sit in my stuff i'm not i can't do that anymore i just cannot do that and you know and one of the best steps that helps me with that is step 11 you know, step 11 says, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand him. You know, as we understand, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. You know, there's some stuff I do on a daily basis, and I did it this morning when I got up. You know, and it starts with um, page 86. You know, um, you know, and, and actually, you know, I do a, a, an 11th step at night, you know, where we constructively review our day. Um, but, you know, on awakening, you know, I do that stuff. Um, you know, on awakening, you think about the 24 hours ahead. You know, I did that this morning. You know, consider our plans for the day. We ask God to direct our thinking. Ask Him to be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. And then it says God gave us brains to use, you know, so I'm not supposed to be not thinking, you know, I've got brains here, you know, I know what I need to be doing today, you know, and that, but I'm praying that my, my thinking be cleared of wrong motives, you know, and then I, you know, throughout the day, it tells me stuff that I need to do, you know, when I'm agitated or doubtful, you know, it gives me all this, all these specific directions, you know, and I have in my margin here, it says explicit direction, you know, what are my motives, you know. Check my motives all over this, these pages. Check my motives. Check, check my motives, you know. And then, you know, it talks about thy will be done. You know, on the last paragraph on page 88, it says, we alcoholics are undisciplined. Imagine that. I am undisciplined. So we let God discipline us in the simple way we've just outlined. And then it says, but this is not all. There's action and more action. Faith without works is dead. You know, faith without works is dead. And that's what step 12 is all about, you know. That's what step 12 is all about, you know, working with others, having had, you know, a spiritual awakening as the, re- the result of these steps. You know, we try to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. You know, I had many affairs, 
you know. And I thought, you know, God, you can take care of this one. You know, but I thank you very much. I can control all the other ones, but I can't. You know, I can't. You know, so I try to practice these principles in all my affairs today. You know, I, you know, one of the things that I, I try to be connected, you know, I really try to be connected because, you know, if I'm not connected, you know, things aren't going to be going too well. You know, and how I do that is, you know, and, and you know, I'm I'm not this selfless person, you know, I'm pretty selfish, you know, I'm a little less selfish today, but, you know, if I don't have you in my life, I'm screwed, you know. So, I, you know, again, you know, I have a sponsor who has a sponsor. I sponsor people who sponsor people who sponsor people, you know, and that's what it is today. You know, I stay I stay in the middle of the bed. I love it as a woman in, in one of my meetings talks about, you know, I'm in the middle of the bed today. You know, I'm in I'm in the middle of the bed. You know, I'm participating. I'm a, I participate in my life today. You know, I suit up and I show up. You know, I pray to God to see what, you know, in the morning, you know, I ask God, what can I do today for the man who's still sick? You know, and I really want to do something for the man who is still sick today. And when I got here, you know, I said that stuff because the sponsor said, you know, you might want to say these things. And today, you know, today I mean these things. You know, I was always taught that we act our way into right thinking. I really truly believe that. You know, I take the action and then it follows in the thought. You know, I do the work and then I really want to do the work. You know, I reach out and I really want to the next time. You know, and basically it's because, you know, I'm saved today by, you know, God's grace and I don't live in that those the depths of disease and the soul sickness that I had. And the only way that that happened was through y'all, you know, and really getting connected. You know, and, and, you know, I was also told that if you don't give this thing away, you won't keep it. And I thought, nah, no, I so, don't know so much about that because, you know, the egomaniac that I am, you know, once I go through this stuff, I'm like, oh, I'm scared to share this with somebody else. You know, I, you know, it might not be so perfect. Well, let me just tell you, I am not perfect. <laughs> All I got is my experience, strength, and hope, you know, and I share that with people. And, you know, I'm so grateful that people shared that with me. You know, because when I got here, you know, I just wanted something different to be happening in my life. You know, if, if I wanted to live, you know, because like I said, I wanted to die. And I don't think I would would have died um, physically, but I would have lived miserably for a very, very long time. You know, and, and, and by God's grace, that's not my story. You know, um, I've had that transformation. I, I'm so excited to be a member of Overeaters Anonymous. And um, and when I got here, I, I was not excited, <laughs> you know, because I thought being an alcoholic was much better than being a, a compulsive eater. <laughs> you know, it was more prestigious, you know, being an alcoholic or falling down drunk. But God forbid I should be a, a compulsive eater. But I'm so grateful because what I, what I know today is that, you know, uh, food addiction was my first, um, my core addiction. You know, it was the thing that I guess, you know, let me live my life. Let me be able to live. Because as people say, you know, food is not the problem. It was the solution for a very, very long time. It kept me alive. It kept me alive. I uh, Today I don't have to do that. I have a solution for real that keeps me alive, and it's a power greater than myself, that when I'm connected, I can get through anything. You know, I can get through anything that there is. I am. Um, yeah, I've gone through a lot of stuff. I've gone through losses, um, you know, deaths and, you know, deaths of animals who, you know, are my kids because I don't have kids today. But what, I, oh, I'm going to get emotional again. <laughs> but what I have in place of that is a fellowship. And I share with people, you know, and they feel my pain. 
and they comfort me. And the good news about that is I can be that person to them today. And I was never able to be that person before I got here because it was always about me. So I could not have any compassion for you. You know, and today I can. I was um, able to go to a women's conference last week. Um, it was a big book conference, and it was just amazing. A bunch of women in recovery, and I just, you know, there were a lot of people I didn't know, but I just, and I, I went by myself because I was supposed to take a sponsee, and she couldn't go, and and I just felt so a part of, you know, and I never felt that way before. People I didn't even know, you know, but I knew, you know, we had the same affliction, you know, we have the same problem, we have the same solution. And it was just phenomenal for a whole day. You know, I only got to go for the whole day, but it was a whole day of, you know, that the steps. It was all about the 12 steps. And it was just amazing to hear people talk about their transformation and how it happened and all the stuff they went through, all the stuff they got through because they invited God in, you know, not because they ate, <laughs> not because they drank, but because they had a power greater than themselves that had finally restored them to sanity one day at a time, you know, one day at a time, you know. Um, you know, I'm not sure to this thing, but I have a daily reprieve. You know, I have a daily reprieve. And it's and, and for me, you know, it's only accomplished by doing this deal, you know, daily. And um, I'm just so grateful. I don't think I have any more to share. It's probably not 45 minutes, but, wow, you know, I'm just so grateful for Overuse Anonymous and for all you people. Let me just say one more thing about vision. I know it's just a meeting of Overreaches Anonymous, which I go to other meetings too, but I think it was, I started listening in 2014, and what is this now, 2023, about nine years ago, and it changed my life. It changed my life, the first meeting I listened to. And I listened to it almost every day. And, and, you know, I've made friends here. And, you know, I go to conferences, and I go to the birthday party, and I see these people, and if I meet them for the first time, it's like I already know them because I know you. I hear you on the line. I hear your recovery. I hear your life. I hear your solution. It helps me to live my life and to live in the solution. So so grateful to be here, and I wanted to thank Leah and everybody for asking me to share. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Oh, Tina, thank you so much for such a touching, authentic message um, filled with depth and weight. And, um, you know, you speak that secret language that's not so secret. You teach us how to speak the language of the heart. So we're, we're so grateful. And we're, we're glad that you're retiring, but, but you can't retire. We're grateful that you can't retire from the uh, recovery workforce, right? <laughs> so let's transition now uh, to uh, questions and answers for uh for tina so um what we're going to do is we are going to um press star one to unmute your phone and give me your first name and last initial and i'll try to hear you with my old ears here who, who has a question for tina christina j christina loretta h loretta who else Press star one. Andrea B. Andrea. 
I'm Karina A. from Montreal. Was it Karina? Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. Karina. Okay. Anybody else? And then we'll get started. Jeannie B. Uh, I'm sorry. Say it again. Jeannie B. Jeannie. Jeannie. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's go. Sherry R. And Sherry. Mary R. Mary Lee. Yes, sir. Okay. Let's stop there for now, and then we'll see. Since we have Tina for the next 12 hours, uh, <laughs> we'll get we'll we'll go after that and see where we're at. So I have Christina, Loretta, Andrea, Karina, Jeannie, Sherry, and Mary Lee. First up with the question is Christina. Good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service and all who do service for this meeting. And Tina, you are just a precious soul. Oh my God, uh, you described the problem beautifully. Solution. Power. I'd really love to hear um, what your what your higher power looks like. What describe your higher power, your higher power, because you have such beautiful recovery that your higher power must just be a beautiful source. I'd love to hear that. Thank you. I'll pass. Thanks, Christina. Well, what a what a great question. And you know, my. I was at a meeting yesterday, and we talked about the second step and and a higher power and you know a concept and and I don't know that I have a concept. What I know that you know the, I was always told that the longest distance was from the heart. I have this feeling in my heart today of, of a power that you know is so loving and kind and gentle and um, you know all powerful and wants good for me, wants me to be happy, joyous, and free, and so. You know, today I, you know, I practice, you know, connecting with a power greater than myself, you know, on a daily basis throughout the day. You know, I make those practices and, you know, I, I just know that there's no, I can't really define that. It's just a feeling that I have, you know, it's just the experience from, you know, knowing, looking over my shoulder of how God has worked in my life, what he or she or it or whatever it is can do, you know, and I just try to be connected, you know, every day. And taking everything that I have, and you know, I, I I share this a lot. You know, I have this mantra. I guess if anything's going on and my mind is full of all kind of stuff, I just stop my mind. I just keep saying, "God help, God help, God help, God help," and then it gets me connected to something bigger than me. That whatever's going on in that mind that wants to play around, you know, I'm giving it to God. You know, and God's going to take care of it because He only wants good for me. You know, how can I be helpful to others is what, the, you know, my purpose is today. I have a purpose, and that was a God-given purpose. I hope that helped. Thanks. Thanks, Christina. Okay, next up with a question is Loretta, followed by Andrea. Loretta, good morning. Good morning, Larry, and good morning, Tina. Oh, my God. I hear God nourished you with his love. I hear First, you with you doing the work and working with others, and my story and your story are so parallel. We could have been born in the same womb, and I also like the idea of being an alcoholic. But long story short, my question is: I don't and have not for several decades used either one of those. But because of the anorexia, and that is really was my source of comfort because when I was 
starving, I could not have to feel anything. So, and I still, I, and I admit this, when I go into fear, initially I covet that. Even though I don't use it, I covet that. So how? It could be me, Loretta, but it seems that I we've lost you. Yeah, I hope that's so. yeah. We we you were just getting to the question, <laughs> <laughs> so I know it was a good one too. Uh, Loretta, we'll give you a second there. This there yes, you are. Yes, I'm back. Just with the question. Oh. Yeah, just the question. Okay. Yes. Okay. Anorexia. I still covet it. I do not use it. Do you have periods like that? Because I call myself recovered. But how do you, um, what do you do immediately when that little stupidity comes into your mind? Oh, great question, Loretta, for sure. And yes, I do have that. But what comes to, the next thought that comes to mind is, you know, if I get into that, how can I be of help for me to my animals today? I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. If If I'm not well and healthy, I cannot, you know, um, be there for my animals. They're my kids, you know, or for anybody else. And so that's what keeps me, you know, over the years, that's what keeps me from, you know, acting out. You know, I have to be here. You know, I have to be well. I have to be able to help them because nobody else will, you know. They're my animals. <laughs> and that's my solution. That's where I go. And it's, it, and it comes up every time when I think I'm too sad. You know, even when I lost my dog last year, I'm too sad. I don't want to eat. You know, that's the first thought that comes to mind. The other thought is, well, what, what happened to Lily? That's my other dog. <laughs> you know? So, you know, God gives me those, those um, situations that, um, you know, I just have to, you know, keep doing what I'm doing. Hope that helps. Thanks, Loretta. Thanks, Loretta. Okay, Andrea, it's your turn with a question, followed by Karina. Good morning. Good morning. Can I be heard? You can. You bet. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your service. And thank you to to uh, today's speaker for your service. Thank you so much. I really identified with so much of your story. Um, please forgive me if I miss, if you spoke about the following and I missed it, but can you share with us um, how you were able to navigate relapse whenever it occurred? What were some of the things that you did? It, and of course, it's going to be about higher power, but how did you talk to your higher power about this? And that's my question. Well, that's a great question. And when I think about that, because, you know, I don't know that I had a relapse because I never had recovery. You know, I mean, I came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1987 and my absent date is 1999, but I never was recovered. You know, um, I had a food plan that I followed. Uh, I didn't really believe that a power greater than myself was going to help me in any way. That wasn't something I got when I first came around. So when I came in the second time uh, in 1999, um, I just knew that I had to do things differently. You know, so what happened for me was I went to a place of where I couldn't think um, and just did what people told me to do, and that's how I got back into recovery. 
because my disease took me to that place where I could no longer think. Because as long as I could think, I was always thinking of something that was probably better than, you know, recovery. And so once I couldn't think, I just did what people told me to do. But I don't know, you know, I didn't really have like, you know, solid recovery and went back out and then had a relapse. Oh, um, sorry. Yeah, th- thank you, Andrea, for that question. And next up is Karina, followed by, I believe it's uh, Jenny or Jeannie. Karina, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm a newcomer, and um, I haven't started, like, I haven't seen a nutritionist to have a food plan yet. And um, I'm worried about having to, like, weigh and measure things and um, I have attention deficit disorder, and I believe I have other learning disabilities too. And I'm hoping that working the program will help me think better afterwards. But I need to. I feel like I need to. Yeah, let me let me ask you this. Just in the interest of time, um, can we formulate a question related to those? Yes, Akina. So thank you. Okay, so like. I feel like I need to be able to think better in order to recover, but I feel like recovering will help me think better. So it's kind of like a catch-22. Oh, great so question, because that's my yeah, experience. That's my experience. You know, when I got here, I couldn't think. Bottom line, you know. Um, I I was, you know, starving my brain, so there were there's no thoughts. And so once I started to be, you know, healthy with, with my food and I started to eat right and I started to take care of myself, whatever that means, you know, I started to be able to think, you know, and that changed. You know, a lot of things changed in my life once I got abstinent, you know, and as far as the measuring and stuff like that, I just was, you know, I was accountable. I had people who helped me, you know, I just did what they told me to do, you know, and didn't second guess it. I did what they, they said that would work, you know, and even if in the back of my mind it would be like, well, you know, if it doesn't work next week, I'm not doing it anymore. But one day at a time, it continued to work. So I did what they told me to do. And that's all I did was what somebody told me to do. And then I thought, I start, you know, like again, I started to nourish my body and my mind, and I started to be able to think clearly. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the question, Karina. Glad, so glad you're here. Um, so next up oh, with the question is Ginny, uh, followed by Sherry. Did I, do I have that right, Ginny? Yes. Yes. Hi, this is Jeannie. Good morning. This is Jeannie B. Recovered in Florida. Thank you. Wow. And thank you. My question is, where uh, do you believe it is important for us to follow the same exact things in recovery? And where do you think individuality comes in? Thank you. When you say follow the same exact thing, what do you mean? <laughs> I mean, like, where do you think it's important? Like, this step means this. And, like, abstinence, for example, may be that you think, okay, we all need to be abstinent, but how we do it might be individual or, you know, stuff like that. So where do you yeah. think it's important that we all follow the big book exactly the same? And where do you think there is the space for us to do it um, yeah. in an individual way? Yeah. yeah. Oh, great question. Uh, I can only share my experience. Um, I believe that the 12 steps 
are worked out of the big book, and and I believe it's presented in many different ways. Um, but um, I think you know working the twelve steps is a solution, and that's you know just the, the twelve steps. Period. But again, how they're presented um, may be different. You know, some people might have worksheets, some people might have you know tapes. They want you. Know, everybody has their own way. So I think that's individual. You know, um, I share with sponsees the way that the, the big book was shared with me. And then over time, you know, I may share it with them how I, I you know, listen to big book studies. So certain things have certainly been incorporated throughout, you know, the steps. But, um, you know, I, I don't think it's in the, in the, for me personally, you know, I think that in, in order to recover that I have to work the 12 steps basically. And, um, and a lot of this stuff can be individual, but, you know, the same thing is that we have the same um, problem and then the same solution. Hope that helps. Yeah, thanks, Jeannie, for that question. Okay, next up we have Sherry, followed by Mary Lee. Good morning, Sherry. Yes, hi, I'm Sherry. I am a newcomer. And um, actually, you got answered my question, but also thank you. I cried through a lot of what you shared. It was really beautiful. Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks, Sherry. Thanks for that. Okay, Mary Lee, it's your turn, and then we'll we'll see if uh, if we have more questions for Tina. Hi, Mary Lee. Mary Lee, press press star one again. Okay, looks as though um, Mary Lee, we, for, there might be some technical issues there because I'm not hearing Mary Lee, so. Mary Lee, we'll we'll come back to you. We'll try again, and I'm gonna open it up to uh, for more questions for Tina. Who has a question? Press star one. Larry B. I'm sorry. Say the name again, gentlemen. Larry B. Larry, right? Larry G. Yes. Oh, Larry. hi, Larry. Okay. Who else do we have? Pete B. Elaine. And we got Pete Elaine. Elaine F. Got you, Elaine. Larry P. Delane, who else? Mary Pat I. Mary Pat. Jackie, Jackie M. And Jackie. Let's stop right there with Jackie, and we're, we're going to see where we are on time. So I got Larry, Pete, Elaine, Mary Pat, and Jackie. And Larry, you're up. Good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for moderating. Uh, Larry G. Recovered, California. Uh, Gina, wonderful. Just was really hard morning, sure this morning. Uh, you said you've been around a long time, I believe since 1988 or 89. You said that coming to vision, uh, it just changed everything for you. I'm, I'm curious, uh, what were some of the, what were some of the things that, that, uh, were, that were a game changer for you as a result of coming to vision? vision for you. Oh, great question. And thanks for that, you know, because it just reminds me. Well, you know, I'm from a, uh, part of uh, Florida that, you know, we didn't, our meetings didn't really have a whole lot of recovery, you know, and, um, you know, people in and out all the time, a lot of relapse. So um, when I got on the line, because, you know, again, you know, my story, you know, I'm sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, and I know the solution is in the 12 steps and in the big book. And so when I get, and, and I'll just, I'll share this because it's, you know, uh, 
you know, uh, a fact that, I don't know if it's a fun fact, but, you know, I, I was actually introduced or to the, uh, another, uh, uh, the, the phone meeting that was on before A Vision for You took over. And uh, at, a, meet, at a, a local meeting I was at, and I thought, how do these people, <laughs> how do these people in OA think <laughs> that they're going to work the 12 steps out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous? And, and, I, and like I said, when I got on the first meeting, you know, I was like, I was hooked because, you know, people in Overeaters Anonymous were recovering through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's what I wanted, you know, and so it changed my life again, you know, because I could continue to be an Overeaters Anonymous and I can continue to compare that they don't do it like AA does it because we do it like AA does it. You know, we recover one day at a time. So thanks. Great question. Yeah. Thanks, Lair. Okay. Next up uh, where the question is Pete followed by Elaine. Good morning, Pete. Hey, Larry. Thank you for taking the meeting. Appreciate your service. And Tina, thank you for your message. It was deep and heavy and I really got a lot out of it. I always appreciate the references to where things, what things are said specifically, but on to my question. Now, our book says that when we're starting to work step nine, our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness with regard to step 10. And can you talk about how your process, how the process of working the steps has grown or evolved in, with your understanding and effectiveness? Well, the way I take, thanks, Pete, for the question. The way I take that question, because that, that's, a, that's a great statement that's made, um, in, and I, I thought it was in the 10th step that it says that. But anyway, uh, we start to grow in understanding and effectiveness that I start to understand my life today and my purpose today, and I start to be effective. You know, I start to, to, get, to, to be the person God would have me be and to be able to be of use, to be of service. And that's kind of how I look at it. You know, I'm, I'm understanding today of what my problem is, what the solution is, and how I can give this thing away in order to keep it. Hope that helps. Yeah, thanks for the question, Pete. Okay, next up is Elaine, followed by Mary Pat. Elaine, good morning. Good morning. This is Elaine S. from California, Santa Barbara, California. And Tina, what a beautiful, beautiful story. I can so relate, even though I'm not anorexic, but I understand uh, the obsession of the mind, you know, the allergy of the body is just, uh, it's our disease and we can, we can certainly connect. And what I wanted to ask you is two things. First is you mentioned the, the in-person meetings that you, you go to, that you used to go to or go to and how there's very little recovery. And I think that I'd like you to talk about that. Uh, cause I think many people avoid those in-person meetings. So I think we need to be there, uh, for those people that are coming in. Uh, so I'd like you to comment on that. And also, if you could share how you do your 10 steps, if there's a form that you use or how you do it. Thank you so much, Tina. Sure. Thanks for the question. Well, yes, uh, and that's why I continue to go to the meetings, um, you know, for a long time, you know, because if if there isn't recovery there, then I can bring it. You know, and that's why I would continue to go. But, you know, I would a lot of times get very frustrated, you know, I'm, and I hate to say that I was the only one there, you know, uh, working a program because I don't believe that's to be true. But, you know, there was, you know, I was a lot of times the one with the most abstinence. So it was like very frustrating that, you know, 
I didn't really hear a lot of recovery, but what I got was, you know, a lot of people that wanted to be in recovery, <laughs> you know, and so if I can con- continue to go and they would con- continue to go and you never know what God has in, you know, in, uh, in, plan, uh, in store for people that continue to do the deal, just keep, keep showing up, you know, you never know when they're going to hear the message and then, you know, just really start doing the deal. And that, and that I have seen over the years, you know, where people start really hearing the message and they start doing the deal and they start to get recovered. And, and about the 10th step, I don't have a, a form. You know, I basically take the 10th step out of the big book. You know, I look to see where I was selfish, dishonest, you know, um, resentful and frightened. I ask God to remove it when I can know what it is. You know, I, I discuss, discuss it with somebody. You know, I call somebody and tell them what's going on. You know, and then I make amends if I need to. And then I, you know, I turn my thoughts to help another. Might text the sponsee. You know, might go outside. If I see somebody outside that needs some help, I might go help them. You know, that's pro- that's basically what I do with the ten steps. I'm not. A, I don't have a form. But thanks. Thank you so yeah. much. Oh, you bet. Thanks, uh, Elaine. Okay, next up with the question is Mary Pat, followed by Jackie. Good morning, Mary Pat. Mary Pat, uh, press star one. And actually, I think she might Thank you so much. Oh, there you are. Thank you. You Thank you for your service. And uh, Ms. Tina, thank you for your presentation. Excellent job. You had mentioned that... um, you, your sponsor has a sponsor who has a sponsor, and I was wondering if you could, and, and then also sort of being in the middle of the, of the herd or the bed, if you could elaborate on the importance of uh, the sponsors having sponsors. Thanks. Thanks. Great question. Uh, well, you know, I know it's important for me to have a sponsor. You know, because of the alcoholic compulsive eater type that I am, I always think that I know. And um, when I get up against the wall and I don't know, I, there's somebody that, that I have, have in my life that, have, that I have had in my life that has shown me that they have a solution. You know, that, that they, they're doing the deal, that they're, they're doing the work. And that it, I, it has never failed that when I've called a sponsor, you know, they've always been there, done that, or know somebody who has so that they can help me. And uh, and I know the only way they got that was from having to sponsor themselves, you know. And like I said, I know my sponsor has a sponsor, <laughs> and and because I see that, and and I hear that, you know, when I talk to my sponsor, she might say, you know, my sponsor said this, and and so I know that I cannot do this thing alone, and I have to have somebody that I can connect with, somebody who knows me, you know, so that I'm not afraid to call, you know, to call, and, and, and you know, and I have sponsors that know that know me, and I can tell them anything. And, and I do tell them everything. And I think that's very important so that I'm not alone in this, so that I feel a part of. And that's what helps me to feel a part of, you know, to, to do what they do. Like I shared that, you know, somebody told me, you know, if, I, if you want what I have, then you'll do what I do. And I said, that's about all. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mary Pat. Okay, next up with a question is Jackie, and then we'll kind of see where we're at. We're going to go to the top of the hour to, to wrap up here. So, Jackie, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Jackie M. from Michigan. Um, thank you, Tina, so much, as always. And I, I, I believe you've already answered my question a million times, but in the, in all of that period of recovery, that long span of recovery that you've had, and if you've been unable to connect with another person 
and uh, you you just you you keep God focused. You keep it in your mind. Um, you obviously must do it until you you feel that relief or the answer. Um, do you think? Do you know what I mean? Kind of like how how do you how do you keep doing it? Yeah. Well, you took the practice. You know, I um, you know, I just practice certain things. I and I share this. You know, uh, when it talks about in the big book, you know, as you know, as you go through the day, or you know, um, in the morning and at night, and to connect. You know, I used to just connect in the morning and at night. You know, I'd say, help me in the morning, keep me sober, abstinent, and sane, and at night I would thank God. You know, and then I started to do it throughout the day, but I would make a practice. I set a timer on my phone. I have a a thing on my phone that every, I don't know, a couple hours it says pause. And so I started to to read that and then start to connect with God when it said pause. Or I'd go to the bathroom and I'd start to connect with God. And, um, you know, there are times when, you know, that I can't really reach out. And, uh, again, I, I try to, you know, connect with a power greater than myself, you know, until I can connect with somebody else. Because what I know is if I'm just with God, you know, sooner or later, my God's going to have the same answers that Tina answers. <laughs> so I have to really connect with other people also. hope that helps. Thanks. Good to hear you, Jackie. Thanks, Jackie. Okay. How about we go, if there's, if there's a couple of more questions, we can, we can try to field those for, uh, for Tina. Let's start one. Sherry M. Sherry. Sarah and Dara, did I get that right? Okay, Sarah. Uh, let me, so I definitely, Sarah. Sarah, Sarah, right? Yeah. Okay, Thank so you. let's go with Sherry and Sarah, um, and then we'll see where we're at there, but I think that probably those were the two names that I heard. Sherry, what question do you have for Tina? Hey, thanks so much, and I will thank Tina offline so I can just go to my question. Um, I uh, wanted to know about sponsorship. By this time in the program, you've been recovered so many years, and let's say you're just throwing out a number, 40, 50 people that you've been able to help get recovered. How in the world do you manage all these sponsees while also trying to work with the still-suffering compulsive overeater? Uh, What does that look like in a practical sense um, once your sponsees get recovered? How do you work with them? Uh, That is a great question. And I, that, I ask myself all the time that question, you know, and what happens is God answers. You know, I always think, well, I can't take somebody new through the steps because I have all these people that I talk to. Every day I talk to at least two people, and on weekends I talk to three or more. And, you know, it just gets overwhelming in my head. But one day at a time, God presents the opportunity, you know, and I just picked up a new sponsor and we're going through the steps. And it just works. You know, it just works out. You know, like I said, it, you know, I trust God and, you know, he presents opportunity and it just works. I've got to be willing to do the work and it works. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Sherry. Okay, Sarah, your turn. Good morning. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Sarah. Thank you, Tina. What does, I always hear the term food is a solution. It sounds easy uh, to understand, but I don't understand that. Can you, like, explain it? Thank you. I'm not sure I heard the question right. There's yeah, a, this uh, is what I heard. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
Okay. It, it, what, sometimes we hear people say that, you know, food is not the problem. Food is actually the oh. solution to the problem. Oh, okay. Can you, can you speak to that? Okay. okay. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, great question. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Because for so many years, you know, lack of, pro- lack of power was always my dilemma. You know, so for years, I thought that food was the solution. So if I didn't have any kind of other solution, I would get into the food. And it kept me alive other than the alternative, which would be death. You know, some people die, you know, by their own hands in in this disease. So as long as I was in the food, I wasn't dying. You know, I was slowly dying, but it kept me alive so that I could get a seat in Overeaters Anonymous and continue to live a life that I have today. That's what I think it means. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Well, I don't, Jody, are you still around? I did hear your name. I don't know if you're still there, but Jody, if you are, uh, we can probably get in one more question. Yeah, still here. Hi, Jody. Hi. There you are. Hi, Jody. Good, good morning, Tina. It's so good to hear you. It's been a while. You too. I know. You too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. It was a very powerful share. My question is, you know, I really appreciated the the last the question about sponsorship. My question is, um, have you found it necessary to join any other twelve step programs? Um, actually, today I am just in AA and OA. Missing me just <laughs> like that's not enough. <laughs> uh, but uh, I have over the years um, tried other programs, you know. But uh, for me, I think I, I'm able to to live my life in, in um, AA and OA. But I think you know, a lot of people have other programs they go to, yes. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jody. All right, I'm going to try, try one more here. I did hear Carolyn, but again, I don't know, Carolyn, if you're still there. But if you are, if you want to unmute and ask a question, that'd be great. Unless that was the voices in my head, which is a distinct possibility. Um, (laughs) If not, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to wrap it up here. Oh, Oh, are you there, Carolyn? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. My question was, how do you know when a sponsee is being honest with you? Um, I had a sponsee I was working with for like two months and she'd been submitting the food. Everything looked cool, but she wasn't losing any weight, and I couldn't figure it out. And then she told me she'd been lying about her food for two months. So how, how do you avoid having that happen? Well, I don't think you can avoid. You know, we, we trust that, peop- that the people we're working with are, are telling us the truth, and, um, and we believe that until we believe otherwise, until they tell us that they're lying. You know, I... I don't think there's any other way to know that. You know, I can always, you know, a lot of times people might say something or do something and then I'll ask questions about it if I think, you know, I might get that intuitive thought that, you know, maybe they're not telling the truth and I can ask some questions. But, you know, um, to thine own self be true, I say a lot of times to people, to thine own self be true. Because I'm, I'm trusting that what you're telling me is the truth because I would want you to believe what I'm telling you. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Carolyn. Uh, and oh my gosh, uh, Tina, thank you so much. It was, it was just tremendous. We're so appreciative and such a, a generous um, commitment of your time this morning. So thank you so much. And so thank we you, are going to now, we will, yeah, oh, you bet, Tina. 
we're going to uh, we're going to ask Tina to give her contact information at the conclusion of the recording. So we're going to close the meeting uh, with a reading from page our namesake here from the, in the chapter of vision mm -hmm. from, a vision for you on page 164. So I'll read that. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.